Welcome to show 33 of the C-Suite podcast, uh, one which I am recording across a few different conferences dedicated to the world of internal communications. Now for this first interview, I'm in Berlin at Quadriga's internal uh, comms conference, and I'm joined by Thomas Novotny, who is head of internal communications at Skoda Auto. Uh, Thomas has just presented three case studies at the uh, conference from his multi-award winning Czech-based internal comms team, uh, showing their work for Skoda across print, online and events. So we're going to explore um, some of those in a little more detail now. Uh, Thomas, perhaps first of all, maybe you can give us an, uh, an overview of uh, the different tools and platforms that, that you're using at Skoda for your internal uh, comms, but also how many employees you're having to reach and in, and in how many different territories. Okay, so uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me here. A absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, well, Skoda Auto is mainly based in the Czech Republic where we have three plants and 28,000 employees. And then we also produced cars in other markets like Slovakia, China, Ukraine, Russia, India, and Germany. Okay, and um, what what kind of tools are you using and, and different platforms to, to communicate? Because you've, you've got some challenges. Obviously, not everyone's going to be desk-based, yeah, well given, that's, that's given the nature of what, what you do for a living. That's the point. Like I guess any listener who knows uh, how factories work, so they, they know that workers are not really penetrated by internet, so it is not so easy to reach them through some online channels. So um, traditional media, print medias are still important for us. So we have uh, a magazine weekly, we have uh, the newspaper monthly, and uh, we also use the boards, pin boards that you have uh, in plants, which yeah. is a very important tool, even if it can sound funny for some, some listeners. So, so it's, it's interesting you talk about sort of traditional media, but I, I thought what was quite good in, in, uh, and quite interesting in, in your presentation was how you're being quite innovative in your use of those. And so I thought maybe we could focus on, on those case studies that you shared. So starting with that, that monthly printed newsletter, which is Skoda uh, Mobile, I think. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to tell us about that publication, but also some of the changes you've made to it over the last year or so and, and why, you why you did those? Well, first of all, I would say that we evaluate almost everything what we do. So I have a clear numbers, figures from all our activities, which can help us to improve what we do. So I know that some... Some companies are scared to actually measure their their work, but I think it's very important if you want to improve what you do. And that was exactly the point with the newspapers, because uh, we have very strong trade union and uh, in Echkoda Auto, and um, our role was um, was somehow uh, less important than what trade union is producing. Mm. So that was the first challenge somehow to change the internal communication completely in a way that we get the respect and trust from from our workers. And not only workers, but that's that's the, the that's the group of uh, employees we talk about. Yeah. So um, we changed the the, the language of the newspaper that now is m simplified. We use more graphics. We use a lot of pictures and stories about our employees. So we reduce on purpose uh, the amount of articles about top management and management level. But we bring more and more stories and polls and questionnaires with our workers. It's um it's bit of a commitment doing a, a you know a monthly newsletter and you also have a weekly supplement as well how, how many people in your team are, are putting this all together well um i'm quite proud of them because i have only three in my team wow. then we have two interns and uh, some trainees yeah. uh, but that's all unfortunately so i'm i'm really glad which kind of people i have in my team and how hard working they are i know you did some research earlier in the year about um, sort of like the, the response that you've had to the changes that you've made. Can you share some of those findings that, that you had from your, let's call them your readers? 
So one is definitely the language. Uh, the, the, the simplification of the language helped that people now read more articles and they understand the content, so that was, that was important. Then the orientation in layout, so we simplified the graphics in a way that uh, they can easily find the chapters they like. But yeah, what you mentioned, we know that the re reading habit is that uh, if they get a new issue of um, our newspapers or new copy of the newspapers, so first they browse all pages and looking for uh, famous faces that they know, some friends or colleagues or fellows. And uh, that's like in their order or schedule, it's the first articles they read. Right, so yeah. on purpose, that that's why it's so important for us to bring stories where they can see some actual actors of, of the stories and not just their bosses or or manager sure um you talked about some video projects as well that you've that you've been doing can you share some information about that as well well that's something we started two years ago um i would say not only in um Echkore auto but everywhere the buzzword now is innovations but unfortunately it's like an avalanche that everybody is innovating something and yeah. uh, that the word is losing its meaning because you can see that everywhere so we were like looking for some new form how to show employees and convince them that we really do some innovations. And so we decided to tell these stories about interesting machines or instruments that we use at Škoda through um, the workers that are actually working with these uh, tools or machines. So uh, the running time is in every three minutes, not longer. And we explain sophisticated um, products with a very simple way uh, that is introduced by our employees, our workers. There was a couple of campaigns, let's call them, that, that you um, you talked about. One was the, the one millionth car um, that you gave away to an NGO um, and you got people to vote or, or nominate a, an NGO and then vote on that. Yep. Um, and, and then also how you're being quite innovative in terms of using uh, social media for new car launches to get the employees involved. Again, do you want to just share some of that for, for the listeners that obviously weren't, weren't here that, that could you know, pick up on some you know, new ideas? Well, um, so maybe just in general, I would mention that if we plan something, we try to plan that so that it has some further impact, that it is not only uh, generating content for internal communication, that but it somehow... Um, reach the broader audience and uh, so the projects you is just mentioned actually on, on that point is there ever a concern that that you've got something that was for internal is, is now going external or, or, or I guess clearly that's something that you in, you encourage and, that, and there's nothing confidential being shared so well uh, yeah of course not everything can be shared but like that is something what you must decide at the beginning if you plan a new project so yeah. that you know that okay this is quite safe so that's why we can plan the activities in a way that it can also let's say leak okay. uh, on social social yeah. media and, and and for us it's very important we actually want that so we we want to promote our employees as our brand ambassadors yeah. and uh, present them in a way that they are proud of the brand so that's uh, also part of internal communication I sure. think Sorry, I cut across you. So you, you were going to talk about the uh, the millionth car and yeah. Uh, so the million car. So for the first two years ago, for the very first time, Škoda produced and sold one million car uh, in a year. So for us, it was a, a historical milestone. So when we decided to um, uh, to mm, to take picture of our employees uh, from all over the world, and uh, the visual style consists of. 1,350 faces uh, of our employees and the message we wanted to deliver it was that um, only thanks to the cooperation uh, we are able to deliver such results so uh, that's why the, the like the faces of employees appear together and then uh, we launch a microsite 
where people could just write some message to other colleagues and thank them for something uh, with what people helped them in the previous year. But the people, like our employees, didn't know that we actually read all these messages, and every day we chose two that um, that were the best, according to us. And uh, um, the like the people that were uh, to them was dedicated the thank you message. So we delivered them a cake with the printed uh, message from their colleagues. So that was uh, also something to to support that cooperation yeah. in our company culture. And you mentioned the NGO. So yeah. um, that was the project because we actually talk about the million cars. So there had to be one millionth car produced and we didn't know what to do with the car. So then we decided, okay, it would be nice to use it for some CSR activities we have. And we let people vote. Uh, so to which NGOs uh, we would uh, we would give the car. So that was also something that had a very nice impact. And who got it in the end? <laughs> well, uh, that was a company helping children. So right. I think it's not a surprise that usually yeah. like that. <laughs> Um, out, out of interest, uh, you, you're part of the Volkswagen uh, group. How, how much freedom do you have from your parent company in terms of internal comms? I would say we have a freedom. Like the like, definitely, you have some topics that are communicated across the 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 twelve brands that are within the Volkswagen group. So, but we still we always have some opportunity to somehow adjust the the claim or the communication message based on the local culture or mm, like aspects that yeah. not always are predicted from the from the headquarters so okay. but yeah i would say we have freedom okay um well obviously there's so much going on uh, I, I guess it's no surprise you've been shortlisted for internal communicator of the year um at the ceb awards which are coming up uh, in in london now obviously by the time i get to uh, edit this podcast given i'm recording it over a few conferences that that may well have happened um but that must be a pretty good feeling to to have all that work recognized well i still can't believe i must say like i i because like there was a shortlist with top five communicators announced and i still think that i'm only the one like the the fifth one of, <laughs> of four like that is somehow like representing eastern europe there but uh, i don't really have chances so with like these expectations i'm going there <laughs> i must say <laughs> but it's uh <laughs> but i feel really honored like to tell the truth like that is something amazing that uh, the jury just noticed us and and they they sent us to the top five that's Fantastic. that's great well, good luck in that. Thank <laughs> uh, you. And hopefully maybe congratulations by the time uh, this podcast <laughs> comes out. Um, now, I can't finish this podcast without asking uh, about on, on the fact that um, on your LinkedIn profile, when, when I uh, looked you up before we'd met, because obviously we've only just met today, um, it says that you're a DJ for Radio 1 in Prague. So as a fellow broadcaster, uh, I thought I'd only give you I'd, I'd give you the opportunity for a for a quick plug. Um, tell us about tell us about that. Well, yeah, well, that's something I have been doing more than eight years and uh, I started with some music show presenting yeah. new electronic music and uh, I actually that's something I must say I don't have television at home because I don't like that medium and uh, oh, yeah. radio was always something like love medium to me I must say like and radio one was my love brand so since I was child it was it was a wish to work on that radio and once I got that opportunity started with a music show and now I got another opportunity to have my own talk show and Fantastic. that's something I, l I really love and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I can do that because for anybody who is working in some field and having some, some job I think it's very important to keep some hobbies around yeah. not only work because it always enrich what you are doing because Definitely. you still have some different aspects that you can also bring to your main work so, so out of interest do you do, do you 
ever do any podcasting or do you listen to podcasts much at all? Yeah, yeah, I do a lot. Right, yeah. okay. So well, also the reason is that I'm traveling a lot by car and uh, I still believe that like audio audio medias yeah. has a big future because like people had to travel and commute and and whatever so that is something i like very much i'm listening audio audio books and podcasts and i love it and and now the c-suite podcast of, of course is on your playlist i i hope that is a new <laughs> one definitely yes i started last week yes excellent um uh thomas thanks so much for joining the show uh, we are back after this quick break Consumers are 10 times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit conversus.com. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast here in Berlin at Quadriga's internal comms conference with me, Russell Goldsmith. And joining me now is Louise Wadman, who is head of internal communications at Lloyd's Bank Group. Uh, Louise was the keynote speaker at the conference, and so I'm thrilled that she is uh, joining the podcast now. Um, now, before we talk about uh, some of the issues you raised in your talk, you mentioned at the very start that you actually job share your role. Um, so I was, there was a couple of things there I was keen to find out. One was um, how that works, and, and, and also if you know anyone else in a similar position to you who does the same, apart from obviously the person you job share with. Um, hello, everybody. I love my job share. It's a completely different way of working for me. I had been part-time for a long time and decided I need to spend a bit more time with my children. Um, and so I found Claire, um, who I had worked with for a long time. We both had similar jobs at Lloyd's Banking Group. And by sheer coincidence, um, she wanted to reduce her hours as well. And so Claire and I work three days a week each. Um, she starts the week on a Monday, and she comes to work with the handover that I have written for her on the, f on the Friday, which makes sure that she's completely up to date with everything that's happening, because we decided that we would share the job rather than split it. Um, so it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we each know exactly what's happening across our division. Um, and then she works um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I join her in London on Wednesday. We, um, and she will have written for me a handover note on Tuesday, which I read on my way in on Wednesday. And we start the day by going through the handover notes, um, talking about anything that we need to brainstorm about and um, any plans that we need to make for the rest of the week. Um, and she goes home on Wednesday and I carry on the rest of the week. And did you go to Lloyd's with the, uh, the idea or was the opportunity there? No, I'd, um, Claire has worked at Lloyd's for about 19 years and I've been there for seven. Um, and it was just that we were both working part-time at the time. Um, and as I say, just very coincidentally, right. we both wanted to um, reduce our hours. But actually... Um, whilst we were putting together our business case, we spoke to people who do job shares elsewhere. And in fact, there's quite a lot in the civil service. Right, okay. um, and we met two really impressive job sharers there who gave us lots of tips. And um, at Lloyd's, we have discovered more job sharers. Um, and very recently, um, Lloyd's hired two women in um, as a job share package okay. um, to the, the grade above Claire and I, so quite a senior role. Excellent. So in, so in your talk, you, you talked about uh, three parts to employee engagement, which were shared belief, 
desire to act, and then crucially, ability to act. Um, but at the start of the session, you ask the audience to call out, and there was about 80 people in, in the session, you ask them to call out what they find gets in the way of employee engagement, and you were writing those responses down on a list which, uh, which we have in front of us. Um, so I just thought it'd be good to share what was on that list, but also how you get around some of those issues. Sure. Um, the audience had lots of input um, for the things that get in the way of them being able to really engage their colleagues. And so the kind of things that they called out was um, cascading, the, the different perspectives that colleagues have within an organisation, lack of resources, engaging line managers, sometimes the company culture, um, having clear messages and, cl and calls to action, things like job security, general apathy, and also the real importance of, of engaging people in a peer-to-peer -peer way. Mm. So what was pleasing was that some of those things were the ones that I had identified in advance for my presentation. Um, I talked about the absolute need to get line managers on board. Um, the issue sometimes with ownership and um, the need to encourage the leaders to really take ownership for these messages and deliver very clear for these activities and deli deliver really clear um, messages. The important context, now um, at Lloyds Banking Group, our cascades, particularly in the branch networks, work very well. But what we see is that as we go through each layer in a traditional cascade, the context gets lost. And it's so very important for that context to stay there so that colleagues know not just what they have to do, but why they have to do it. Um, the need for advocates, again, I think this was a, a theme yesterday, actually. A number of us were talking about having these advocates. Some people in the, uh, what I would call, traditional champion role, but um, the case study that I shared was the brand builders that we had used in Lloyds Bank who, had a, who didn't really have a communication role, actually. They were in the business, people that we could go to as change was coming to ask how processes should be changed, how systems should be changed, how could we improve customer service for their customers. And the last point was cut through. And I think this is a tremendous problem that we have across the industry. How do we get cut through of our messages when we're all engaged so much now in, in social um, networks and media? Are they just creating more noise? So how do we create that relevance for colleagues? P picking up on the, um, the brand uh, builders that, that you talked about, actually, it, it would be good to know how you actually went about recruiting them and also um, what they had to actually do for you. Yeah. Um, we asked brand builders to volunteer, um, and we had no idea how many would volunteer. Um, we had a thousand, just under a thousand in the first year. And we, um, when I left the working for the uh, for Lloyd's Banking um, Network, we uh, it was three years into the brand builder program. We had nearly two thousand. Um, the first year, the role of the brand builders was very, very clear. It wasn't to be a communication champion. We wanted brand builders to be people who were passionate about serving their customers and who were frustrated by all the things that got in the way of that and who wanted to change um, those things to make it better for them and their customers. And so after a couple of months, the business um, took over the responsibility from the communications team of running the brand builders program, and that was fabulous. 
Um, because what they did was that they required any change that was going to be introduced within Lloyds Banking Group to have to go through the brand builders in some way. So that might, may have be as simple as asking the brand builders to participate in a survey in a focus group to examine a process with subject matter experts from elsewhere in the bank and look at how to improve it. And we saw some great wins there where um, some of the pro our processes were sort of 20 steps and they went down to five with the brand builders collaborating with the subject matter Brilliant. experts in the business. One of the interesting points you made um, in, in the uh, presentation was about learning from marketing. I yes. I was keen to I'm quite fascinated by the marketing function and actually I think there's a lot we can learn from marketing. So um, I went to a conference earlier this year where some marketing research was presented and it identified the top um, 10 success factors for a successful marketing campaign. And they, three of them were really relevant um, and there were a couple of other things generally about marketing that I'll come back to. So um, engaging the heart and the mind, um, the by using emotion, storytelling and other things in communication, um, we engage much more of the, uh, of the brain um, and therefore that so the emotional connection is stronger. Marketing also make a, di uh, a distinction between the work that they're, all their activity on building the brand and then separate activity on triggering or sales. I think we've got, as a communicators, things to learn from that approach too. Too often, all of our communication has the same sort of purpose. Um, and the third thing was humor. And interestingly enough, we haven't talked very much about humor at this um, conference, mm -hmm. but the fun things that are done do get the cut through that is often so hard. The other things that they covered in that conference on marketing which resonated with me was the importance of video. We've seen that at this conference. Most of our speakers are using video effectively as part of their communication campaigns. And campaigns is the last thing. Um, marketing are marketing colleagues have a real campaign focus and not just thinking about what each part of the campaign needs to achieve in the overall whole but also making sure that all the channels are aligned on single campaigns or the same campaign and, uh, and again something else for us to learn from marketing I think. And, and I guess one of the things that uh, you, you talked about there with video what, what we've also seen here at the conference is, is the amount of companies that are happy for their employees to then share externally the content that originally was aimed for internal comms, but then it has a double uh, sort of usage, mm. and video clearly is something that is easily shared on, on social as well. That's right, yes, exactly. Mm. And of course, it enables us to reach more colleagues, and it's something that um, Ben Wickham said in his very interesting presentation about employee value, value proposition, was that, or the employer value proposition, was that um, our colleagues, and we all know this, our colleagues are our best adverts for our, our brand, um, and so, having them looking at videos at, um, on YouTube of what's happening internally, sharing it with their friends and family is a wonderful um, way of advocating for our brands. So when we were going through that list uh, um, just before um, and various different challenges, one of the things that you, you talked about actually was getting, uh, well, you, you referenced line managers and, and it would be interesting to know about the challenges that you face in getting them on board with, with change. You know, how, how do you actually go about achieving that? Line managers are, are a fundamental um, element of a change program and actually quite a tricky one um, because there's re rarely enough t resource to bring them together to train them properly. Where I have been able to do that, that's where I've seen the most effective um, change. So in the absence of 
being able to spend a lot of time with them um, to show them what we're trying to achieve, to get their views on how to achieve that. The way that I have tried to um, influence line managers has been through role modeling. Um, and my experience has been that it's quite that you need to do things quite carefully to uh, get find an effective role model. First of all, you've got to find somebody who is already trying or achieving the, the behavioral change that you want. Then you have to extract from them exactly what they're doing differently and how they are doing differently and package that up so that other people can see exactly what's happening in a way that they can then replicate. So role modeling is important. Investing time with the line managers is, is important as well. Do you see resistance to it at all? Yes, I think that there is quite a lot of resistance and perhaps it's not... Um, it's understandable because typically the line managers have been in the organization for a lot longer than yeah. the new leader has yeah. been. And so they have seen cha a lot of change over their careers and they really, really need to be convinced that um, what we're, what, whatever the change is that we're trying to achieve is um, worthwhile, um, that it will work and that they should get on board. I, I guess it's, it's something that is consistent across any established business though. I've worked in quite a few and I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell us about the uh, the Great Debate internal comms campaign that you shared. That seemed um, really interesting. The Great um, Debate was a, a lovely piece of work. Um, we launched it at a conference with um, line managers. And the idea was that, that the Brand Builder um, program had been very successful, but that was only a small amount of our total population. And we wanted to give all colleagues the opportunity to share their ideas. But we also wanted to do it in a very focused way. So there was one question um, that colleagues were invited to share their ideas about. And we had uh, we, we went out and produced a video, um, which we played at the conference, of course, and then it was played in all the branches to kick off the great debate. There were two weeks in which colleagues could submit their ideas and they could do it in a very old-fashioned way on a postcard or on um, online and the great thing was that hardly any anybody used the postcards they looked very nice but no <laughs> one used them they all went online which was much better yeah. because um, once a colleague had posted their ideas online other colleagues could like it um, okay. they could share comments on it as well once the two um, week period was up we looked at all the comments and we assessed uh, the ideas and we and they were assessed by in with two parameters how cost effective would they be and what customer benefit would they have and what was fabulous was that within the suite of ideas that we had we took forward 27 ideas out of 1230 uh, i think that were posted um, there were a number of ideas that could just be implemented immediately. And so for all the colleagues who participated, they saw um, immediate change, and that was great. But obviously there were some ideas that really needed to be worked through to see whether they were viable or not. And so that's where the colleagues who had suggested them, who had liked them, were invited to participate in sessions with some brand builders, but also, most importantly, with um, business subject matter experts right, okay. to explore whether it was actually possible possible um, to implement the change. Um, final question, looking to the future of internal communications, you uh, touched on things at, at the end of your sessions that you touched on things like uh, neuroscience and behavioral economics playing a significant part in strategy. I was just keen to just 
let, let's just talk very quickly on, on that and where you see things uh, moving forward. I think we're at a, a tipping point. And the interesting thing is, that as I um, listen to my colleagues in marketing, they are all talking about um, behavioral economics yeah. and how they're using um, framing and nudge in their communications um, with customers. On the internal comms side and the HR side, those guys seem to me to be talking about neuroscience. Um, and I'm kind of wondering where the two meet. And actually, they're not um, mutually exclusive. So as we, from a neuroscience perspective, as we understand more about the brain, we should use that understanding to apply to our communications and especially to our change um, uh, activities. Having a few people sitting in a room coming up with, a, with an idea or a strategy isn't the way forward. We need to find ways of including other colleagues um, uh, proactively. The some of the, the neuroscience pieces that I'm applying actually are quite intuitive. So I think that we all know as communicators when we've had big change projects to deliver, the importance of um, helping colleagues have a positive mindset. We don't want them all to be in, fr in fright mode where um, they're, they're so unfocused and so worried about the change that's coming down the line that they can't do their work and they become unproductive. Yeah. We need to help them um, create more positive mindsets by setting um, um, short-term goals, by sharing news when there is news and, and also sharing news when there isn't news. That The fact that we need to fill that void because we know that um, colleagues don't like uncertainty so all these things will help us become much better communicators um, and change agents. So does this mean retraining for uh, internal communications heads, maybe? I don't know retraining or just um, a little bit of upskilling, actually. Um, as a uh, profession, I think that a lot of us have come into it with actually very little uh, professional qualifications in communications. Um, that has changed over the last um, probably decade with lots more um, courses and degrees in communications. But certainly we cannot stand still. We have to look at all the things that will help us be much better communicators in the future. Interesting times ahead. Uh, thanks, Louise, for giving up some time to chat to me. Uh, we are back after this. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, here at Quadriga's Internal Communications Conference in Berlin. And a reminder that if you hear anything you want to comment on across social media, uh, please do get involved using the hashtag hash C-Suite Podcast. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us about the show, perhaps even support it with some sponsorship or advertising, then you can now find us on Twitter. And we are simply at C-Suite Podcast. Um, now, in the meantime, I am thrilled to be joined by Sandra Greeden, uh, who is brand and IBM -er engagement at IBM Europe. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, Sandra's talk uh, here at the event was about how IBM is uh, now emerging as a cognitive solutions and cloud platform company. So uh, let's kick off maybe by uh, you explaining a little bit about cognitive business and, and how you're educating your own team about the changes to the business and where the company is moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it is uh, quite a change in strategy. Um, it's an evolution of what we have been doing before, obviously. But cognitive is the way forward for us. And uh, that was immediately also the challenge, uh, challenge that we were presented with because it's fairly intangible for people to understand what is cognitive to begin with. Yeah. And we need our employees to be our best amb brand ambassadors. And that's why we wanted everybody on board of... Um, 
understanding the strategy, of course. So for my own team, it's, it's really all about we are in a privileged position being in, uh, in the forefront of everything that gets communicated, that gets created in terms of content uh, around everything we do as a company. So my team <coughs> needs to communicate about it, needs to make sure that we get uh, access for our employees to whatever we have in terms of content. But uh, at the same time, I also encourage my team to be an actual part of what we try to develop in terms of programs for the employees. And Cognitive Build was one of the things that we tried to do to get some real immersive hands-on learning for employees instead of just pushing content out to them because that didn't seem to work no. to begin with because it was too intangible. Um, so we created this engagement platform to make sure that people were really brought into the whole thing. And I encouraged my employees themselves also to be part of uh, the whole thing as a participant. I, I want to ask you more about that. Um, but before we do, mm -hmm. some of the things that you talked about um, obviously involve Watson, which is a yep. big thing that IBM yep. talk about regularly. And I've been to many conferences and seen it. But I thought just in case anyone wasn't aware, you know, maybe you could give a quick overview of, of Watson, of what Watson is and, and why it was core to this particular yeah. project. Yeah. Well, if I start talking about Watson, I, it can take me hours. So <laughs> I'm going to try to be very brief and to the point. Uh, so t Watson is basically at the core of our cognitive business strategy. Um, it's a technology platform that understands human and natural language and uses ma machine learning to uh, reveal insights from data and basically also from unstructured data. Okay. Uh, around 80% of our current uh, nowadays data consists of unstructured data. It can be visual content like videos, uh, social media insights. It can be uh, anything from red books to white papers to real books, anything. So in order to, to do something intelligent with that data, Watson analyzes all of this, it understands it, and it adds a layer of intelligence to it. It also understands complex questions or situations, and it evaluates all the possible meanings of the data, be it unstructured or structures, and determines what is being asked and what the, the person using Watson is actually trying to get out of it in terms of intelligence. So <clears throat> Watson presents the user then with a number of uh, answers and solutions, and based on supporting evidence, will also find quality of the information that you are looking for. Mm. And based on that, the person that works with Watson can make decisions uh, based on the on the solutions that it's being presented with. So I guess it, it makes absolute sense, obviously, for you to be using it yourselves, and, yeah. and then you become a great case study yeah, moving exactly. forward. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's let's. Let's go on to that, that cognitive build project then. T talk us through the process and, and what's in involved exactly. Yeah. So basically, um, we have this uh, platform that we use, Think Academy. It's uh, a learning platform, a learning tool. And on a monthly basis, we upload new content to it and we keep it ongoing. Uh, and it's all about the strategic priorities for our company that we try to get all IBMers uh, aware about what we're trying to do and what it can mean to them their job, their profession, whatever. Um, since for cognitive, quite intangible to begin with, we tried a different approach. We wanted to pull people in and do some immersive hands-on learning. And that's what we tried to do with cognitive build. So basically, 
It's a program where we invited people to first go to our learning platform, Think Academy, and understand what do we mean with cognitive and what can it do for me as, a, as an employee, for our clients, for the world at large, so mm. to speak. And then we had um, three months of cognitive build a journey. First, the preparation phase, understanding the whole thing. Then we asked people to team up and come up with ideas. So you might have an ID, um, let's say you're a diabetic and you want to have an app that would help you with everything related to your issue. You could enter an ID into our Cognitive Build platform, an online platform that we created specifically for this. And you could find uh, team members that would like to work together with you on finding a solution and using cognitive components so, for so that solution. any idea, it doesn't have to be related any to work. ID, yeah. Any ID, any yeah. um, ID. We were looking at the end of the day to educate employees, but also to engage them. And of course, hopefully along the way, also find new solutions, be it for our internal processes or be it for clients. But it could have been any ID. And that's what, what was really exciting for people because they they were able to provide whatever ID something that they were uh, feeling strongly about mm. so to speak for themselves or for clients so they teamed up we we they sort of had to become um, yeah they, they had to become a mini enterprise a mini corporation they had a CEO and somebody in charge of development and somebody in charge of promotion and they were brought together in virtual teams and could be teams that were co-located or just um, in various places across yeah. the globe um, we provided them with various tools to work together based on design thinking and, and making sure that they had all the tools at hand to, to collaborate. And then uh, they had to conduct agile sprints. So we asked them to think about their business uh, model. We asked them to really create an, an, an initial feasibility study and also maybe an initial prototype of the, of the whole thing. After they've done that and uh, they became they became mature or, or somewhat mature and came out of the ideation phase, we went into an investment phase. And that was a fun part because right. then we, we reeled in the entire company. Every IBMer, also the ones that didn't put an ID into the whole tool or that weren't part of a mini enterprise, so to speak, uh, were able to invest. They received $2,000 uh, virtual, that okay. is. Yeah. And they were able to act as venture capitalists. So right. we gave everybody the power to uh, look at all the ideas and really say, okay, like this, don't like that, don't think this is feasible, want to do that. And they were able to invest in these ideas. Uh, so that was really, we saw a lot of enthusiasm because uh, people had to do promotion for their ideas, they had to get it out there, and other people had the power to invest in right. ideas. And so were there any particular outcomes that you weren't expecting, any ideas that you like wowed everyone? There, there were... There were 8,500 IDs that were actually, uh, because all of them were judged by cognitive coaches to also so establish whether they were actually cognitive. And so who, who goes through 8,000 IDs? Yeah, well, <laughs> all, of, all of the people that were involved in this project were pulled in, pulled in along the way. Right. And uh, there were a lot of people from the business that helped us out uh, because we in communications are not 
immediately always maybe the best place to identify is this really feasible or yeah. does this already exist out there so we had we had to count on a lot of people that actually helped us with this from the business from the technical side of the house and but the whole company literally came together on this one. And how, how, so how did you decide on, because obviously you, yep. you then followed through on some of those projects. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, uh, the, the IDs that received most funding from their colleagues okay. were selected, right. but we divided them into three categories. So, very, so the crowdfunding aspect became the crowdfunding key. was was key to the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. And and everybody had access to the entire company, so to speak. Yeah. I got investors that I have never heard of, uh, just because of the the solidity of my ID, so to speak, yeah. or the promotion that you did, for that matter. Because yeah. everybody was really creative in promoting the whole thing. So we split up the IDs into three buckets, and then we selected the top IDs. Um, so first bucket of IDs were new apps, new solutions for clients. Second one, improving an existing product or service. And the third one was actually an improvement um, using cognition to an existing IBM process, business process. And the top IDs for any of these three categories were selected and went on to the final phase where 50 teams were invited to go to our design studio in Austin. Okay. Were um, selection of those teams. They were they sent representatives. Yeah. And there they uh, received business mentors and uh, technical mentors that helped them push the idea even further and really building the, the actual working prototypes. And then they went through a pitch fest, so to speak, an outthink challenge because we wanted to outthink everyone yeah. and um, they were all able to present to uh, members of the board uh, including Ginny and from these 50 we selected eight finalists and they were the actual winners so to speak. Amazing and yeah. so what's happened can you share any of the results? With uh, those yeah there were there were a lot of uh, so just thinking about the top eight that made it there were things ranging uh, from anti-terrorism screening apps uh, to because terrorism was, was yeah. quite top of mind at the time so it's basically all about security capabilities and, and being able to visually recognize things that are out of the order for example but there were also more fun things like like uh, apps for what did I eat? So you take a picture of your entire meal, your drinks, whatever, and it will tell you how many calories, uh, what it would suggest you in, in terms of, okay, you, you ate this, so now you'll have to go and exercise uh, that that long to, to, to balance things out. Yeah. Uh, there were things uh, related to the environment, so uh, something around gr cognitive green energy, smart car where your entire car would would do all the thinking for you um, and also one um, a chat agent a chat agent for youth in need of emotional support i hear you and that was actually wow. one of the top winners uh, where it really came from the conviction of the people that yeah. that put the id together and and there is a lot of bullying out there, of course. Yeah, so of course. it's really something that uh, you might not immediately think IBM does something in that area, yeah, but yeah. Um, we, we, we do so many things that uh, a variety of Brilliant. IDs made Fantastic, it to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so th my final question then, and but I guess this is crucial given mm -hmm. where the whole thing is about employee engagement. What's been the feedback from IBMers to the whole process? Because it all sounds great, some yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah, ideas, yeah, yeah. amazing <coughs> for the people that were finalists and got flagged, but what about for the, for the whole feeling in, in terms yeah. of the business? Yeah. 
So beyond the 50 teams that made it, because yeah. uh, if you have a company over 370,000 people, that seems like a small part of, uh, of uh, our population. There were local events as well that did the exact same thing and tried to also uh, pull out the ideas that they wanted to um, establish further okay. and fund further, by the way. Uh, but overall, people felt um, respected, felt uh, empowered, engaged and trusted because of the fact that they were actually given the tools to do something, not just you sit back and, and go through this learning exercise. They were really pulled into the whole thing and they were given the power and the means to build something concrete. And uh, we've, we, we had as feedback that they felt empowered they received two thousand virtual dollars but uh, for them it mattered because they 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 were really happy that they were yeah. able to make a decision and then based on some of the decisions that they made the actual ideas were were coming to fruition so i think that um the engagement piece was was really important and it was um much more than two-way communication they yeah. met people across the globe um they they really now also understand what it means to to have something or build something cognitive and they also see that a lot of these ideas live on uh, patents are being filed uh, ideas are being developed they get m business mentorship and actual funding so i think that that was uh, for us a new way of uh, engaging people and set a benchmark mark for everything that we are doing as of now if, if our listeners want to go for any more information, is there somewhere they can go to, to get more about, about Yeah, uh, I'm sure that everything is hosted on our website at okay. some point. Uh, they can also reach out to me uh, as well. We have uh, plenty of materials and uh, there will be more business cases that will be built around this for sure. Tremendous. Yeah. Uh, Sandra, fa fascinating uh, case study. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So I started the show saying I'm recording this podcast over a few uh, conferences, but because my uh, first three guests have had so much uh, interesting stuff to talk about, I'm going to do this in, in a couple of parts instead. So you can listen out for future shows on for more about internal comms. But for now, just a quick reminder that you can listen to previous shows um, of the C-Suite podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just simply search for the C-Suite podcast in, in both of those uh, platforms. And um, when you get there, please do subscribe. And particularly on uh, iTunes, if you can give us a positive rating and review that'll be great because that all helps us up the charts and gets us more listeners um, if you also go to the soundcloud page uh, you'll find links to our new facebook page uh, where you can join the conversation and as uh, mentioned earlier in the show we're now on twitter as well which is simply at c-suite podcast thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>